afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to live from your true self through all of life's twists and turns. And you'll be challenged to lean into the mysteries of life to find your own deepest wisdom. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. I'm Andrea Matthews, your host, and today we're going to be talking about a little thing called divinization. So what if there really is an actual process through which you are becoming more and more divine? And if that were really possible, what would it look like? How would it work? Actually, what's happening is that we're becoming more and more aware of that deep authenticity that already is divine. Some people call it the light within us. Stay right here today for this discussion of the process of divinization. So the word divinization uh, is a word that's been coined over the centuries by uh, various mystic Christians. um, And it has to do with uh, becoming more and more divine as you age and as you grow spiritually. Um, But that word is a westernized term. But it is the total understanding of most Eastern religions that we, we come here as a divine being. We are raised to forget that we're divine very often, and we lose touch with that, and then we have to get back in touch with it and become more aware of it. Um, actually, in some Eastern countries, uh, countries of Eastern religion, uh, they are uh, very aware that children carry the divine within them and treat children accordingly. That does not entitle children, but it does allow children to be authentic and to grow into themselves more spiritually aware than children in the Western culture are. So they're a little bit ahead of us there in that regard. But the mystic Christian religion does also consider the possibility that it is possible for a person to become more and more divine as he grows spiritually. So we want to talk about that process and what what that would look like. So first we have to tackle the the idea of of, of original sin. Uh, From the westernized version of religion, we are born into sin. And therefore we're not acceptable to God and therefore we can be cast out and even go to hell for eternity at the end of our lives. Well, this is a little bit different. Um, this says that we are divine beings who have forgotten who we are. And because we have forgotten who we are, we try to survive in all kinds of ways that don't make sense to a divine being, but that are, um, that are people, some people might call them sinful, but I don't call them sinful. I just call them filled with error and mistake because we're blind to the fact that we're already divine and we have divine guidance within us. And if we just could access that, then we wouldn't be making what I call stupid decisions. <laughs> we, would be, we would be able to, to find our guidance from within and be able to walk a path of spiritual growth that continued on through life. So, but if you, have, if you look at that possibility that a person can become divine, What would that look like? A single lifetime? Can a person become divine in a single lifetime? Well, I don't think so. And most of the people who espouse this belief don't think so either. Um, And 
you know, from the Western perspective, reincarnation is just not true. And uh, and so if you're from that per- persuasion and this is offensive to you, I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to offend you, but there are things in the Gospels where Jesus encountered other people and there's at least two uh, uh, conversations he had where he admitted to reincarnation. And one of those was they asked him who John the Baptist was, and he said he is Elijah. And that was meant that he was Elijah, come back again and into another life. Elijah's soul came back into John the Baptist. And if you look at their lives, their lives are very similar. They wore, you know, uh, uh, animal furs and lived out in the nature and they didn't, you know, associate with the people in the city much and that kind of thing. So they were very similar in that, in nature. Uh, also there was another occasion where Jesus was asked, uh, who sinned, uh, this man or his parents that he should be born blind. So they're talking about who sinned before he was born. He was born blind. Therefore, they thought there was some kind of sin involved that made him uh, be born blind, sort of like we think of bad karma, that he sinned in some other life, and therefore he was born blind in this life. And so they were asking him about that. Clearly, they were asking about reincarnation. And he, he said, his answer was clearly that um, they it's not that he... It's, it's not that he was born blind, I mean, he, that he sinned, but rather that um, that he could show, display the power of God in him through his blindness. And, uh, and uh, some people thought that meant that Jesus was saying, well, I'm going to heal him, so therefore it will show that I'm, I'm Jesus and I'm divine and I can heal people. Uh, but actually, that flies in the face of everything else he said about, you know, sort of n- telling people not to tell anybody what he had done when he healed them. So he did heal the blind man, and the blind man could see after that. Uh, but the works of God were displayed in him through uh, through the healing, of course, but also through uh, his blindness and through several other things that we probably don't know about uh, in his life. So. What Jesus was saying there was there's a process of divinization in which this man is becoming more and more divine, and that's what's happening here. So he did not, he, he was basically saying from one lifetime to another, a person can become more and more divine through their life experiences. And so that's, that's basically what we're talking about today. How in the world would a person become more divine? You know, what does that mean? Does that mean that they become all-powerful and that they become, you know, holy and they become sinless? And what, what does that mean? We have these westernized versions of a God who is uh, sinless and who never makes mistakes and who, uh, you know, so, and, and, he, and he's, uh, he's holy, he's perfect, he is all-powerful and all-seeing. Um, so, does that happen to a person? Do they become all-powerful and all-seeing and sinless and holy and perfect and all that? Well, actually, I don't have the answer to that. But I do know that in the process of becoming more and more divine, we wake up more and more to the inner essence of who we are 
what some people would call the Christ nature, other people would call the Buddha nature, the Bhagavad Gita would call it the divine self. Um, there's different names for this this deep essence of who we are, but we wake up to more and more of that, and we de- definitely can get guidance uh, about life and circumstances from that place, and we definitely can feel peaceful and joyful in, in that place. We also can feel pain in that place. We can, we can uh, experience life, and that pain helps us transform into deeper aspects of self. So, so is it possible for a person to become divine? Yes. The answer is yes, it is possible. What would it look like to do that? Well, it's a process. Um, in, in the Gospels, Jesus talks about that process and calls it, uh, the, the translators have called that process the kingdom of heaven. But as you see the parables that Jesus told about the, pro- the process of what, what the kingdom of heaven is, he, he, he would say several times, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of heaven is like. And he would use a parable to explain what the kingdom of heaven was like. And in each one of those parables, he talks about a process, not a place, not a place we go only after we die, but a process. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not also a place, but it does mean that it is definitely a process. And the process is one of life. It's where one begins to learn more and more about the essence of living and the essence of life itself by becoming one with that life, by becoming one with the divine by becoming more aware of the oneness that is in all. And, uh, and so the process looks like life. So, you know, I was thinking the other day about, you know, where is, where is the divine in a terrible thing like a murder? We can't say the divine caused that murder. We certainly don't want to say that, although there have been people who said, oh, that's just God's will. I don't believe that God wills people to murder people. But I do think that there is a, we can find the divine within it. That doesn't mean it's cause and effect. And we tend to think that way in the Western world. We tend to think in black and white and cause and effect. So if, it, if something happens, there must be a cause. And so that's why we're so ready to blame ourselves or other people when something happens, particularly something bad. Um, one of the things that I've been aware, aware of nationally is what, when some tragedy happens, the first thing we do as a nation is try to figure out who did it. Who do we blame? Uh, I remember thinking about this uh, when the oil spill was in the Gulf and uh, how much we, we, instead of trying to figure out first how we were going to fix it, we had to figure out first whose fault it was. So I think that's one of the things we do in the Western culture, and it, uh, it keeps us from getting faster to a solution. Um, so we tend to think in cause and effect in the Western world. And so when something bad happens to someone or to us, we tend to go, well, who, who did that? What, who's to blame for that? And we either feel guilty, we feel responsible, or we blame somebody else. And that's one of the first things we tend to do. But so I'm not talking about cause and effect when I say uh, uh, the divine is found in a terrible thing like a murder. I'm saying that even in the darkest night, the divine is still there. That's what I'm saying. So we can find the divine even in a murder. We can find the divine even in a rape. 
Um, and we certainly can blame the murderer for the murder, and we certainly can blame the rapist for the rape, not the raped. We don't want to blame that person. We don't want to blame the victim. We want to blame the person who did it. On the other hand, and so we want to get justice, legal justice for that person, but we also want to consider the possibility that even in the darkest places, we can find the divine and be transformed by the divine. So, uh, so when we look at those dark places in our lives, what, what happens? Well, for most of us, what happens is we try to avoid the pain, we try to avoid the anxiety, we try to avoid memories, we try to avoid circumstances that look similar to the, to the bad things that happened. We try to avoid it. We just try to put it away, try not to think about it. Just don't think about it and get on with your life. That seems to be the Western way. Just don't think about it and get on with your life. Pull, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get on with it. Um, and that, that, of course, does not mean we're going to grow. But if we learn to sit with it, and what do I mean by sit with it? I mean that we allow it to feel what it feels. Uh, allow it to talk to us about what happened. Allow it to, uh, to, to be what it is and sit with the feelings that come up about it. Um, and instead of trying to run from those things, if we do that and we breathe into those feelings and we allow that to just come up and, and, and be present. And if we need to cry, we cry. And if we need to be angry, we're angry. And if we need to be sad, we're sad. If we need to, you know, be anxious, we're anxious. If we just allow that process to be what it is without acting on it, you know, we can, I don't mean we can't cry. We certainly can cry. And I don't mean we don't, you know, dance our anger or uh, yoga our anger or walk our anger or exercise our anger or, you know, there's certainly actions that we can do with, with anger that don't mean going and beating somebody up or telling somebody off. There, uh, so, yes, those kind of actions are, are part of the sitting with process. But the, uh, but the action that says, I have to go fix this rapidly so that I don't feel this pain anymore, that's not productive. So, on the other hand, even that can be part of the process of becoming divine. Even when we don't do what we need to do to really enhance our spiritual growth, we, we absolutely can still grow into the divine within us. And so, what does that look like? Well, from, I need to tangent off into karma there for here for a minute so we have a westernized view of karma and and that is because we have a westernized view of the whole good evil dynamic we have in the western worlds and 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 largely as a result of the christian motif we have uh, a good evil what i call the good evil complex which means that there's good and there's bad, and you're, you're always either doing one of those. There's no gray area. It's either good or it's bad, and you just need to know that and decide which direction you're going to take. And so good people do good things, and bad people do bad things, and people that do bad things are considered bad, and people that do good things are considered good. 
and we don't ask much about their motivation. We don't say um, that person is good uh, because he's got real compassion, although sometimes we do say that. But a lot of times our judgments of other people are based in uh, their behavior only. So we see somebody contributing a large amount of money to a particular um, charity that we love, and we say, well, that's really a good man. He gave all that money. But he may have given all that money to get a tax break. He may have given all that money to impress other people. He may have given all that money to respond to a bribe. He, he may, you, know, you know, we don't know his real motivation, but we make a decision based on what we see in his behavior. And so there's a lot of that that goes on with our thinking about you know, the good-evil complex, that we, we're judging people by their behavior only and not we don't see their motivations. On the other hand, a person who's, who, who we consider to be bad might have, for example, robbed a bank or robbed some people's homes. And uh, we think he's a bad person because he's doing bad things. What we don't know is whether or not he's doing that because his children are starving or because he thinks that that's the only way he can survive or because he is uncertain about who he is if he's not doing that. Um, so when, we, when we're talking about uh, good and bad, we, we don't really know what, what causes, what, what really motivates a person to do the things he does. And so our judgments are faulty. But we continue to do that because we have a belief that there's a grand battle happening between good and evil and if it if you put that in the western religion what that means is that there's a grand battle between god and the devil and god has to win but so far the devil is winning because there's still so much evil in the world um and uh so that grand battle means that we've got to side with one of them we got to be with either the devil or with god and if we are with the devil or with God, then that we've made our choice, and that's just how it is. Um, and so that's how we've sort of squared off things and made everything black or white. Instead of looking at uh, the possibility that maybe there's more. One of the things that sa- it says in the Old Testament is God is defining himself. I'm, I, I look for for God to tell me who he is in the Old Testament rather than for the people of, of the Old Testament to tell me who he is. But God literally says, I made good and I made evil. And, and, I, and I do all these things. And so, if it's really true, then what we think of as good and what we think of as evil may not actually be good or evil. It may just be life. Being life what it is. And so, uh, people make all kinds of faulty decisions out of a desperate need to survive, and people make all kinds of good decisions out of a desperate need to survive. And that need to survive is based on the idea that we're separate from the divine, and we have to secure our safety by, you know, doing certain things, praying certain prayers, have, offering certain rituals, uh, uh, being a good person, all of those things. So we can secure our safety in those ways. But what if there's something else going on? What if there's a steady stream of divine energy 
that is flowing through us at all times. And all we really have to do is tap into it. And if we tap into it, what would that mean about how we live our lives? What would that mean about how we think? What would that mean about how we feel? What would that mean about what goes on in our bodies? And, and so we, we deliberate on that uh, a little bit as we go through the rest of this show. We're going to talk some more about what actually happens through this process of uh, the divine process. But before we do that, I'm going to finish talking about karma, uh, what karma actually means. Uh, in in the in its truest form, rather than the Westernized version, where there's a good karma and there's bad karma, and good karma comes because you've done good things and you deserve good karma, and bad karma comes because you've done bad things and you deserve bad karma. That's all based in the good evil complex, and it's not the true definition of karma. We're going to talk right after the break about what good what karma actually is, and so we'll be right back. Stay tuned for more right after this. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Broaden your mind. Open your heart for a greater understanding of how to express your pure and authentic nature. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Simron, author, publisher, and life mentor, broadens minds and opens hearts to a greater understanding of life, consciousness, and humanity. 1111 Talk Radio is every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 1111 Talk Radio. You are not on a journey. You are the journey. You are experience experiencing itself. On Living Strong, the flip side of adversity, Dr. Veerdra Jackson presents stories and powerful guest experts from business, health, relationships, and faith. Every story has its flip side, and we are here to delve into the story and challenge you to view what has kept you in a singular mindset and turn it into the flip side. When you can effectively do that, you'll experience necessary growth. Tune in live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about the process of divinization. And what we've said so far is that there is a process of divinization and that is actually confirmed by some of the texts of the, of the uh, Gospels of the Christian faith and definitely confirmed by lots of, uh, the, of what we read in the text, the sacred texts of the Eastern religions. Um, so they actually agree on that. And uh, uh, so 
what's happening through the divinization process is that we're becoming more and more aware of our own divine nature, which some people call the Christ nature, other people call the Buddha nature, other people call the divine self. Um, There's lots of names for it, but the idea is that there is a deep essence of who we are that is divine. And so I said I would talk about karma, what it's really like. It is not, karma is not just punishment or reward for what you did in a past life. I've even heard people say, well, she killed me in a past life, so I killed her in this life, and then she killed me in that life, and then I killed her in that life. And I'm like, where's the growth in that? There's no growth in that. There's no spiritual awareness in that. And just repeating the same pattern with, with you know, revenge as the agenda. Um, so uh, that, that is not true karma. What karma is, is the divine intent to accomplish divine will. So karma is something that exists within us and is the power to accomplish divine will. And it will eventually have its way. Uh, So that uh, it's a little like Pluto in an astrological chart where Pluto says, uh, I'm going to make you surrender eventually. Um, That's... That's kind of what karma is. Karma says, eventually, you're going to become divine, and I'm going to make it happen. And uh, so it does that through every single life experience, whether that experience is internal or external. It does that through every single life experience, whether that experience is good or bad. No matter what's happening with that life experience, the divine will inside you is slowly but surely transforming you into full awareness of who you are as a divine being. Will that happen in this life? I don't know. Will it happen in the next life? I don't know. But will it happen? Absolutely. It will happen. So that's what karma really is. It is the intention of the divine to accomplish its will within each of us. You know that prayer that Jesus said, uh, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? That's karma. That's, that's what karma really is. So we're all on a pathway. I wrote a book uh, back in 2011 uh, called The Law of Attraction, A Soul's Answer to Why It Isn't Working and How It Can. And what I said in that book is that the law of attraction is not what we think it is. What we've been taught to believe the law of attraction is is a new age concept that says uh, if I think positive thoughts and believe positive things, positive things are always going to happen for me. And I can tell you that I've had many people come into my office and say, I've been working on the law of attraction. I've been making sure that I'm always thinking positive. I've been making sure that I'm always you know, uh, believing that, that, that I'm going to get that million dollars, but I haven't gotten it yet, so what am I doing wrong? And my answer to that is maybe you're not doing anything wrong. Maybe the belief that you can accomplish it that way is not as faulty. So then we have to examine that. The law of attraction is not thinking positive so you can only get positive results and trying hard not to ever think negative. That is a toxic positivity, and it can literally kill people 
because what it does is it says you can't ever have a so-called negative thought. You can't ever have sad feelings. You can't ever be angry. You can't ever have doubts and fears. You can't ever um, uh, think anything uh, that's not positive about your potential future. You, You always have to stay on top of your own thoughts. And what that amounts to is repression. I'm repressing, repressing everything that does not fit into my paradigm of positivity. And therefore, I'm stuffing a lot of anger and sorrow and fear and uh, thoughts that I don't want to think into the uh, realms of the unconscious. And what's that going to do in there? It's going to one day explode. Because that is all active energy and it's not going to just sit in there and do nothing not going to go away it doesn't go away it just sits down in the unconscious until there's an opportunity for it to leak out or spill out or explode out and uh so that's what it does and then we end up living this passive aggressive life if we can maintain that and that can even affect your health so uh i've definitely seen that happen with lots of people and it, it doesn't work And so what I said in the book is that is not what the law of attraction really is. What the law of attraction really is, is that karma that I was talking about just a minute ago, where where we are attracted to and by all those things, places, people, and events that will bring us closer and closer to a full awareness of who we are as divine beings. That is the true law of of attraction. And it it works all the time. One of my favorite Bible verses in the Old Testament is in Isaiah, I think it's 55.11. It says uh, that my word will not return to me empty. And basically what it's saying there is that um, whatever it is that, that the divine speaks into being will not be returned to it empty. In other words, divine will will be accomplished. Um, How does that happen? Well, I have to tell you a little uh, Buddhist joke. Once upon a time, uh, two Buddhist monks died and went to heaven. And they were looking out over the clouds and they saw this other guy was in the process of dying too. And one of them says to the other one, oh, He's, uh, he's, he's going to have to return to another life. He's not ready for, you know, uh, to move off the wheel of samsara yet. He's going to have to move into another life because he was a drunk in this life. And the other monk looks at, back at the first monk and he says, that's not really true. He had one more lesson to learn before he got, got off the wheel of samsara, and that was humility. And being an alcoholic gave him humility. And so he learned what he was supposed to learn, and then he was done. He didn't have to reincarnate anymore. So what that joke is basically saying is we don't know what another person's life is giving them. Let me say that again. We don't know what another person's life is giving them. We could judge them and say, oh, he's just a drunk, therefore he's a bad person, therefore he's not going to go to heaven, therefore he's going to go to hell, gonna, whatever, whatever we thought we think that the result of that will be. 
we can do that judging, and we do. We very often do. That's one of the faults I find with with a lot of um, the the Christian church is that there's just so much judgment within the church that even the membership of the church cannot turn to each other for succor and support because they're so afraid of being judged. So there's just so much of that going on in that in in that. Uh, dynamic, and it's all because of the good evil complex that we talked about a little while ago. So we could judge, but we won't be accurate. It won't be true because we don't know what another person is gaining from this life experience. So what might look bad to us is just another opportunity for the person to grow into his, his spiritual awareness. And that, if you can think about that, it's just so relaxing to just kind of go, oh, even when I screw up, I'm still going to learn something. If I, I just, and, and, and I can open more to that. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But ultimately, I, I'm, I'm going to transform into awareness of my divine nature. I'm going to do that. It's, it's happening for me. It can't stop happening because the power within me is creating that all the time. So no matter what I do, and and I want to be clear here, I'm not giving people excuses to go out and rape, murder, and, and maraud and, you know, uh, create all matter of havoc on planet Earth. What I am doing is saying even the worst dark night can be a transformative experience that can bring us closer and closer to the divine awareness of who we are as divine beings. So... Uh, so that process can be enhanced. We can uh, increase that process by uh, becoming active with the process. Join the process. We can we can join the process by, um, like I said a little while ago, sitting with what happens. What does this have to show me? What does this have to teach me? What can I learn from this experience? How will I grow through this experience? I've, I've told this story before on here, but I'll tell it again now. I had an experience with, uh, at a place that I worked. I'm, I'm in private practice now, so I'm self-employed. But once upon a time, I worked for various agencies in uh, directorial positions. And I was working in a directorial position at this agency. And... I was, my position was directly under the executive director at that position, and um, I was being asked, and, and not just asked, but told to do some things that were unethical and, and was seeing some things that might have even been illegal. And um, so I was trying to find a new job, and I was having to gird up my loins to go and tell my boss that he was doing some unethical and maybe even illegal things and he didn't like hearing that and so I had to uh, do a lot of things to protect myself um, even coming to hiring an attorney but I uh, uh, and I was just could not wait to get out of there and I just kept wondering why 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 am I still stuck here why can't I find another job I had good credentials I had licenses I had experience so I couldn't figure out why I couldn't find a job somewhere else and it turned out that the next job I got was 
paid better and was a m- much more uh, uh, responsible position and and also uh, was working for people who were more ethical and uh, and, and and but that took two years for it to happen but during that process I learned how to stand up for myself how to stand up for truth how to honor my my own integrity and and not be afraid to do that and um, so that was one of the biggest most important lessons of my life it changed me entirely and so I look back on that experience and I'm actually grateful and for uh, his request his demands that I do the things that I did I am grateful that he was such a you know a bad guy <laughs> he was he uh, you know was really uh, probably maybe even psychopathic but uh, I learned tremendously from that job I took myself to a new place inside me a much more authentic place so that's just one example of how that can work. I was terrified throughout that whole experience, terrified every day. Couldn't sleep at night, and when I did, I dreamed about him. Um, but I, but the experience itself changed me to such a deep degree that I was able to do other jobs in the future that were much more required, much more of me. And uh, then I was able to finally launch my private practice, which also requires a lot of me. So. Um, I I learned so much during that time, and I'm so grateful for that experience. And that's just one experience. You can learn through the death of someone you love. You can learn through a disease. You can learn through um, uh, a happy time. You can learn through childbearing. You can learn through all kinds of things. Life itself is your teacher. Life itself has the energy of the divine within it. And it is your teacher. It is your uh, welcoming home mat that says, come on, come on, come on, come on. Just keep coming. You know, you're going to get this. You're going to get this. That's what life does. And if we can look at life that way instead of, you know, the old adage, life's a B word and then you die, then what we, what we do is we begin to agree with our karma. We begin to agree with the divine will within us and say, okay, I'm not going to fight you anymore. I'm not going to resist what you're doing, what you're saying. I'm not going to tell myself not to feel. I'm not going to tell myself to avoid the pain. I'm not going to tell myself to avoid the place of my last trauma. I'm going to tell myself that this is a learning experience and I'm going to grow through it. And so we, we just agree to be with whatever comes up. And psychologists and uh, uh, counselors around the world are beginning to see how that works with things like anxiety and depression, that rather than fighting it and trying to make the anxiety go away, we sit with it. We say, okay, there you are, I see you, and then it passes. And then we say, okay, there you are, I see you, I can feel you, and then it passes. And then we say, okay, there you are, I see you, I can feel you, and then it passes. And some new thought comes along, and then 
maybe the anxiety comes back, and then we we sit with it. We allow it to be what it is, and then it passes. And it's the same thing as a mindful meditation, where you just have a thought, and it comes up, and you watch it. You don't identify with it. You just watch it, and then it passes. And then another thought comes up, and you watch it, and you see it. And if a feeling comes up with it, you watch it, and you see it. And then it passes. Instead of, instead of trying to identify with the thought or trying to make the thought go away or try to, try to make sure it's not too negative or to judge it as being too, uh, too whatever, then what, what, what we can do is just watch it. Just allow it to be what it is. Just sit with it and allow it to be what it is. And that process joins us with our karma, which is divine will, intent upon accomplishing what it came here to accomplish, which is awareness of our divine nature. All right, we're going to talk some more about all this in just a few minutes, so stay tuned for more right after the break. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Things Worth Considering, featuring host Gord Riddell and Alexia Georgiousis, is a program that's all about connections. The connections we make with our families, our workplaces, friends, and others around us. It's also about connections to ourselves, spirit, feelings, and stories. Let us connect with you each week to explore who we are and what we can be moving forward. We can overcome the obstacles that stand in our way. Things Worth Considering airs live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Tune in each week for Advancing All Women, hosted by Sarah Alter, the President and CEO of Network of Executive Women. Hear top executives and experts talk the most pressing topics for women in the workplace. From advancing women of color to developing and engaging male allies to how to navigate the new workplace post-COVID-19, Sarah will cover it all as she and her guests dig into these key issues. Listen every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment or catch our replays weekly on Voice America Influencers. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at AndreaMatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about the process of divinization, which is a Western word for a process that's talked about very, very much in the Eastern world, in Eastern religions, uh, with regard to the process of becoming aware of a divine self. And, um, and divinization is the Western mystical term for that that happens in the Christian faith that says, I can become more and more aware of my own divine nature, my own Christ nature. 
And so the Christ nature is not the Jesus nature. It's the Christ nature. And that means that it is divine. And so when we talk about a, a, a place within us where there's divine energy, we understand that... Uh, that there is a light within us. Some people call it the light. Some people call it the um, uh, the little little divine spark. Some people call it other things. But what it is is this: the it's the Christ nature, the Buddha nature, the divine self, the authentic self. It's the same. So I, why did I start this show? It's called Authentic Living. What I intended to do with this show. 13 years ago and still intend to do now is uh, help people become aware of the authentic self. And the authentic self is, in fact, your deepest essence. I would call it your soul or your divine self, your divine nature, whatever you want to call that, however words you want to put on it. Authentic self is a term that fits in the psychological world and and. In the religious world or the spiritual world, the divine self fits there, or the Christ nature, or the Buddha nature, or the, as I said, the divine self. So, those those terms all mean the same thing. But the authentic self, I mean, one of the things that I uh, think that we we need to do with in touch with with regard to getting in touch with the authentic self is we need to start listening to our deepest longings. Our deepest longings. So you might say, well, I want to win the lottery. Well, okay, let's talk about that. You want to win the lottery. What does that mean? Well, you know, once what, let's say you've won really big. You've won $48 million and you're set for life now. What have you got? And the answer for most people is something akin to peace of mind. I've got peace of mind. I don't have to worry about anything anymore. Of course, that's not really true, but that's what we think. And so now you've got peace of mind. That's what you really wanted. The lottery was just how you imagined getting there. There's lots of ways to get peace of mind. You don't have to win the lottery to get peace of mind. Unfortunately, in the Western world where uh, capitalism reigns, we tend to think that money is the answer to everything. But it's not. Actually, spirituality is the answer to everything. And by that, I don't mean religion. By that, I don't even necessarily mean a belief in God. What I do mean is that uh, your deepest spirit is active in your life. That's how we get peace of mind. And uh, so when it comes to... uh, the authentic self, what we're talking about is getting in touch with deep desires, your ultimate passions, uh, and running your life accordingly. Running your life according to that deepest essence of who you are, instead of running your life out of time schedules and um, I've got to's and I have to's and I ought to's and I feel guilty when I don't and all of those other agendas that keep us from the authentic self, keep us from becoming awake and aware of who we are as authentic beings. So when when we live into that authenticity, life becomes much more joyful. I was talking to somebody just the other day who told me 
there is nothing like that feeling of doing what is authentic within you to do. And I totally agree. Uh, uh, when we're when we're doing what we're what really is genuine for us to do, it gives us peace. It gives us joy. It gives us a sense of lightness of being. It gives us a sense that we are doing what we came here to do. And some people would call that purpose. I'm a little leery of that word purpose because I think so many people are trying to look for some grand purpose and they just forget about living because they're. The, uh, living an ordinary life because they're so busy caught up in finding some grand vision of how it ought to be for them. Um, but really, ordinary life can be quite joyful if we're living it in our authenticity. The simple essence of just being in your truest self is is offers genuine peace. And... So that is your divine self. That, and those are the same things. They're synonymous terms. And when we're in that process of understanding or agreeing with our karma, when we're in that process of saying, okay, I'm going to join my karma. I'm going to learn from every experience that happens to me. We enhance the process. But even if we don't do that, the process is still ongoing. There is no way to avoid this you are not going to be able to escape ultimately becoming fully aware of your divine self. Maybe not in this life, maybe not in the next life, but ultimately you will become aware of your divine self. And all of us will. And that's the process. And what does that look like in your body? Well, I can't say I know for sure, but I know that uh, one of the things that uh, I've looked at the root language of the old, the, 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 book of revelations in the uh, new testament of the christian bible and studied that with intensity and one of the terms that's used over and over again in that is garments your garment is your flesh it's your flesh and bone and the garments are made white and what does that mean uh, i'm not sure what that means but what it, what white is is the ultimate of all colors all colors are found in white And so there's some kind of transition that takes place in the body that makes the body different too. So ultimately, we're going to be able to be able to be form and formlessness all at once. Whereas now it's either or. Either we're in the body and that's form or we're out of the body dead and in formlessness. Either way, the soul goes forward. But that's how it is now. But when we become aware as a, as a collective, we become aware of who we are as divine beings, there's going to be a shift in the way the body is, looks and acts as well. And I'm, there's a mystery there that I can't really explain, but I think it has to do with being able to be both form and formlessness at the same time. Um, and and that's, that's ultimate light. That's ultimate light. So... Uh, so it, it might look ultimately different when we all get that as a collective. And we will all get it as a collective. There's no failing to this. My word will not return to me empty. There is no way that this is going to fail. Ultimately, all of us will become aware of who we are as divine beings. And that's why all this talk about Armageddon and 
you know, the Armageddon is actually a field of awakening. It's not a field of, you know, where there's a terrible war. It's a field of awakening. It's when we become aware of who we are. And it's when we put down the, the weapons and, and turn them into plowshares. Um, there's a whole lot there that's in the symbolism of the root language of the, of the text of the Christian Bible that's not been studied because it's been translated in a certain way based on old ideas about uh, old traditional ideas about who Christ is and who God is. And those decisions were made uh, about three centuries after Jesus died. Decisions were made as to the nature of Christ. And everything that was written or canonized after that had to go along with that. And they were written and canonized in a time when, uh, when the world was uh, run by religion. And, uh, and religion and politics were one and the same. And so one had to, one's life was hanging in the balance if one didn't agree. And literally, the church was given power to uh, kill people if they did not believe what the church said. And they were considered to be heretics, people like that. So, uh, so we had to believe what they taught us. We, our lives were threatened if we didn't. So they taught us this, and we've been believing it ever since. But if you look at the root language... It's very much like the Eastern religions. And uh, so I hope to publish a book soon that's going to talk about that. Another book called Inhabiting Heaven Now, it talks about that as well. So uh, if you want to get that, you certainly can. It's on Amazon.com. But uh, so when we talk about the process, the process is just living. The process is living life and allowing life to teach you, to help you grow, to make you more aware, to make you, to open your heart more, to, to fill you with, to fill you with uh, the power to live more life. When your heart begins to open, when the heart chakra begins to open more and more, we, uh, we become fully aware of our deepest feelings and it makes us connect to life on a deeper level. And, and we enjoy life more. We cry more. We, we feel more fear. We feel more pain. We feel more joy. We feel more life. We feel more light. And that's part of that process of opening up to becoming more aware of who we are as divine beings. So, yes, there is a divinization. Yes, it is possible. What it looks like is the process of living. Everyone's going to do it, and nobody's going to fail to do it. So that's a hopeful, hopeful look at life. All right, that's our show for today. We're going to be back again next week. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week. 